Hello and welcome to Paincast, conversations on pain and physiotherapy. This podcast is brought to you by the Pain Science Division of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. I'm Tiffany, a physiotherapy student at the University of Toronto. Today we are honoured to have Lisa Greenbaum joining us. Lisa Greenbaum is a certified yoga therapist and ERYT 500 yoga teacher and educator. She is the founder of Lisa Greenbaum Yoga Plus Wellness, a yoga education school with a trauma-informed lens. Recognizing that the chronic physical pain we experience is intensified through the chronic stress, poor sleep, and mental health challenges that go along with the pain, Lisa's approach is centered on creating balance for the nervous system that includes meditation, breath work, and movement to quiet the flight or flight response and build ease within the body and mind. In this episode, we talked about what yoga is how yoga can be adapted for people experiencing pain, and how physiotherapists can work with yoga therapists. There's also a breathing meditation demonstration at the end for you to experience. Enjoy! Hi Lisa, thank you so much for spending time joining me on Paincast, and I really look forward to this episode. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well too, thank you. To start off, can you introduce who you are, what are you doing, and what a typical week looks like for you? Typical week? I don't think I have a typical week, but (laughs) I can do the other part. So I'm a certified yoga therapist, and I also hold my ERYT 500 with Yoga Alliance. I've been teaching yoga along with fitness for over 20 years in the city of Toronto. And I have spent many of those years as an educator, uh, certifying teachers how to teach. And I have my own yoga teacher training school, which is simply called Lisa Greenbaum Yoga and Wellness, where I certify teachers to teach yoga, but to teach a trauma-informed, focused uh, style of yoga. Wow. So that's very specialized. You must be very passionate about yoga. What got you into yoga? I'm very passionate about it. Uh, I was a dancer growing up. And so dancing really just consumed a lot of my of my life. I loved it. And especially through those teenage years, it was really helping me with just a lot of my mental well-being that I didn't even realize And so I was part of a competitive dance team. And so when we went off to university, our team dissolved and I was kind of floating around a little bit, not sure what to do. A friend of mine brought me to the gym. So I started working out and that was something. And then when I moved back to Toronto and joined a gym near me, I ended up doing a yoga, sort of a yoga fusion program and absolutely fell in love with it. Felt like I came home and started teaching it a few months after that. And that was, yeah, over 20 years ago. So um, the yoga asana, the postures have been part of my life regularly for all of those years. They're a hugely important part of my life. But I would also say that when I started to get deeper into yoga itself, in particular, the philosophy of yoga and the aspects of yoga that can really bring emotional healing was in 2009 when my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so that helped me as a guidepost 
just be able to process what was going on and help move a lot of a lot of stuff through and really just started to become the sounding board for why I think that yoga is so important for everybody. I'm curious back then when you first started that yoga fusion class and felt like home, what about yoga clicked with you? Mm. It was that slower, more mindful movement connected to music, connected to breath that felt almost like dancing. Like, because as a dancer, I was doing a lot of modern dancing. And so, you know, the speed would have been a little bit faster, but they were always these moments where you would just be like holding the music and really breathing or holding a posture. And so physically, my body just loved it. And mentally, I just, that was the coming home piece. Mm -hmm. And when yoga helped you get through that period of sorrow, was it the same aspect of yoga that helped you? It wasn't actually, because by then it was, it was really, you know, I'd gotten a really regular athletic practice in my life. And so it definitely still helped me, but it was actually, I started to read more about yoga philosophy and in particular the yamas and niyamas, which are like sort of like ethical guideposts for how to live in the world, um, how to interact with others, but also how to take care of yourself. And part of those lessons are around discipline, around self-awareness and self-study, but also one of them, which was really quite important at the time was in just surrender. And, you know, the, the difficult thing is when we go through these, these hard times and these difficult times, that ability to just accept it is so incredibly difficult because you're fighting all the way. You don't want this to happen, but you start to really get deeper with the idea of, you know, being able to change what you can change, but being able to accept what you can't. And so even though there was a bit of push-pull, just reading about those lessons and then really just pausing and being so incredibly present with my dad that last year, it just changed a lot for me. It didn't, it didn't change the grief, but I still have very distinct memories of sitting and being so totally present with him and my family as we went through that year together uh, that, you know, they'll, they'll hold memories for me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I see. Yoga can get really deep. It sure can. <laughs> Before we get too deep into it, and I can see some of this circling back to the discussion we will have later on. For those who are not familiar with yoga, can you explain what yoga is and illustrate what it can look like? I would love to. Uh, because in all honesty, there is a misconception of what yoga is out in the world perpetuated by social media, perpetuated by how a lot of studios and fitness centers deliver yoga, which is this, you know, strong, powered, something that you do. And, and we even say it, I'm going to yoga. I'm going to teach yoga. But yoga actually is a state of mind. So when we study the philosophy of yoga, in the most common text that almost every yoga school would use, which is the Sutras of Patanjali, right at the beginning, he shares that yoga 
is what happens when the mind stuff quiets, essentially. So that mumble jumble of thought, that hamster wheel of thought, um, and we've all been there, that obsessive thoughts that we get on. When we are practicing yoga, that starts to turn itself down and we start to experience these moments of quietness or gaps between thought. And then how we get there is through the practice, which is the eight limbs of yoga. And so the eight limbs of yoga are um, the yamas and niyamas, which are those sort of ethical principles. Then there's asana or posture. So the movement is only one eighth of all of yoga. Then pranayama, which is breath work, which is also just another eighth of yoga. And then the last four limbs are all connected to meditation. And so practicing the eight limbs of yoga will lead us to that state of clarity of mind. And when we do find those points and they're fleeting and they're not going to last long, we could be meditating for 20 minutes and only have a 30 second glimpse of that stillness. But when we have those moments of stillness, it's at that point that we feel the most connected to ourself. And this is straight out of the sutras. It's basically the next line. It's at that point that we feel the most connected to self. And when I say connected to self, I mean, we have the most compassion and respect for self with all of the layers gone of who we are and, and who we are interacting with the world. And then when we feel that deep connection to self, it just naturally brings us to a deeper connection to others. So it's very powerful. So it's, yes, yoga is a state of mind. It's not something we do. However, we do practices to get us to that state of mind. That's awesome. How does trauma-informed yoga take some of these principles and sort of shape yoga as a state of mind into this particular practice? Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you asked that question because the truth is all yoga when it is taught with a philosophical approach and when we are using the eight limbs of yoga is naturally a trauma-informed practice. However, buzzword in our field, in our industry, and in the mental health community uh, is to start adding trauma-informed when we are really considering those aspects in the practice. And so the main aspects, first of all, compassion, accessibility, allowing the student to have options in class, creating a safe space by not what you deem to be safe, but asking your students. So things like turning all the lights off at the end of class very well could make a few students not feel safe. The language that we use, you know, we, we bring in a lot of different you know, sometimes it's slang or sometimes it's just just remarks or sayings that we've not actually thought about that can actually bring a lot of harm to people. Um, and so it's, you know, being cognizant of the language, cognizant of the space. Uh, so those are really the main principles. But then digging in a little deeper to start to bring practices to help our students move through trauma that's where we start to change how we're delivering the practice. And, you know, automatically a lot of people think that, well, we need to create, you know, if, if we want to get still, well, then we just need to add more meditation or restorative yoga, which is a really still practice. And ultimately 
that's a really powerful practice. But most people who are experiencing chronic stress, who've experienced trauma, stillness is the enemy because as soon as they're still for too long, quiet for too long, all the thoughts start flooding in. It doesn't matter what you say as a teacher. And so um, when I bring these concepts into my practice, I do a slow flow floor centered practice that moves into deeper stretching, but looking at more of a 60, 65% effort over pushing, pushing into our flexibility and revving the nervous system back up. So, so really the entire focus that I have is getting the parasympathetic nervous system online. And we know we can't just, it's not a light switch. We don't just turn it on and off. And it's not something that we have control over. It's part of our autonomic nervous system. And so creating practices that will lead our students into those spaces. And, and this is exactly, exactly the practices that I use when I am working with my students that have chronic pain, because in my eyes, chronic pain, chronic stress, experiences of trauma, mental wellness, anxiety, depression, they all go hand in hand. They are just, they're a little family. You have one, you have the others. And so really being able to calm our students down naturally, organically. Um, my favorite thing in these classes if it, is if my student can fall asleep. Because when you fall asleep, that's that's an element of safety, right? Mm -hmm. So when you work with students with chronic pain is it usually in a group setting where all of the participants are going through chronic pain i personally i work more one-on-one -on -one in that capacity because i really want to make sure i can tailor my practices to the person i have taught practices but when you know when i'm looking at a group environment you know, that's when we're really taking like a chair yoga class to a senior center where we'll just assume that everybody has chronic pain because as we get older, most of us do develop chronic pain. Um, but when I'm looking at people who are really, really struggling from particular issues, whatever that might be, I find there's much more benefit in really being able to tailor the practice because people with chronic pain, and I've worked with a number of people, they're frustrated. They're just so frustrated all the time. They feel like people aren't listening to them. They start to feel like people don't believe them. And so I find being able to just hold space for them individually just helps helps right away at, at starting to just calm their nervous system down. They're not sharing the space with somebody else. I see. So how does a typical session look like? Mm -hmm. It definitely, it's going to depend, first of all, what's causing the pain, right? And what level of pain they're in. I've worked with a number of people with arthritis. And, and so, you know, movement is key, absolutely. But we're not pushing through pain. And if someone's having a really difficult day, it's not the day to do not to the day to do yoga. Um, I also will try to schedule my sessions later in the afternoon because mornings are always rough. We always feel a little stiffer in the morning. So a typical session would start with definitely some breathing, either seated in a chair. And again, it depends on where the pain is being experienced. Um, so either seated in a chair or lying down. And I usually get a sense of my clients when they come in 
how they're doing that day. If they come in in a good mood, if they come in really dragging themselves, really tired. And so that's also going to change how my class starts. And so there may be days that I spend 15, 20 minutes just working on breath, just to, just to help my client get into that space of presence and relaxing. And sometimes it's a bit less. And then, you know, and then there's, there's different methods that I use. And one of the methods that I'll use is to get the body moving in the areas where the pain isn't being experienced, because there's all of these messages going down to that one specific area that's just screaming. And so, you know, it's like we forget that the the rest of the body is there, right? So it might be issues with the right knee, but the right shoulder might feel perfectly fine. The upper body might feel perfectly fine, but there's so much concentration in the lower half of the body. And so I'll do some stretches and movements just to kind of get the messages moving into the upper part of the body. And of course, blood flow and all the other wonderful things. And then I don't necessarily focus so much on the area that's in pain. I focus more so on reducing tension and reducing tension to reduce the pain. So yeah, it is very client dependent, but that that would be pretty general, I think. And so there's definitely movement, a lot of breath work, um, and the movement could be very limited or it could be a bit more. And, and sometimes it also just depends on the day and how they're feeling that day. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very interesting too. And I trust that a lot of your clients experience great benefits from participating in these sessions. I think they do. <laughs> that's great. There are a lot of studies on the effectiveness of yoga for various pain conditions. How would you summarize the literature on yoga for pain? There's too many. There's too many to summarize. Because first of all, there are studies on multiple, multiple studies on all the things that cause the chronic pain, right? So there'll be studies and studies on yoga for back pain, yoga for arthritis, um, yoga for scoliosis, yoga for fibromyalgia, just as, as some of the most basic things that cause our chronic pain. Uh, so there's multiple studies on each of those. Um, but I, I suppose if I were to do a summary, um, it would really be on that mind-body effect. And um, I actually, I, I made a note because my favorite study that I do quote all the time so there was a study done in 1994, and when I came across this study, everything that I was thinking about intuitively, it just all made perfect sense. And so this study, it was examining um, the electromyographical or EMG readings of trigger points under psychological stress. And so we know what trigger points are, right? The nuts, the knots that we get in either our neck or shoulders. And so what they did is they took, um, you know, these tiny, tiny little um, needles and put them directly in the trigger point to measure what the electromagnetic frequency was uh, versus where the non-tender muscle fibers were. And so all, all, already there was the higher frequency and then what they did with the study is they asked 14 subjects to count to five, one, two, three, four, five, no problem. That's not going to cause stress for the average adult, right? And so they recorded no change in the EMG reading, but then they asked the same group of people 
to count backwards from 100 in multiples of seven. Not entirely stressful, but definitely you have to think. And their EMG readings went up. And so basically what the study was showing was that there is absolutely a direct link with tension, stress, mental tension and mental stress on our physical feelings. And I think most of us know that already, right? We understand we get tension headaches, our stomach gets in knots when we're stressed out. We have a lot of a lot of experiences that all kind of feed into each other like insomnia, anxiety, depression that causes more tension. But to have that study, you know, in black and white, I found that and I quote it all the time because I find it incredibly powerful for people to understand that mind-body connection. And, you know, some people are very into very intuitive to it and others are just they're not. And and then they start to think that it's, you know, all this woo-hoo or we need to like light incense and have crystals in order to create that experience, but not at all. We just need to allow the body to settle and to relax. But when you're in pain, the pain is automatically creating tension, right? And I'm sure all of the listeners have read many of the studies that when we are in pain, all of our pain receptors are just that much more elevated and that much more vulnerable to even the slightest pain. And so how can we offer just more relaxation? As a yoga therapist and teacher, I never, I would never even consider to say, oh, I'll be able to cure you of your chronic pain. And that's not even the intention at all. It's that let me help you find some relaxation to reduce your experiences of pain and see how that starts to change, you know, different aspects of your life. Right. So the mind-body connection and how calming the mind affects the experience in the body is really how yoga can work for pain management. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you know, there are lots of different postures that we can do that would mimic the work that physiotherapists would do to strengthen different areas of the body without question, but separate what yoga does that very few other things do is really looking at how to quiet the nervous system to start to turn some of those pain receptors down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you added also the movement piece to it. That is also very important in that pain management. Oh, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Given that in general, yoga is a state of mind, it calms the mind, calms the body. Given that, do you find a particular condition which yoga is particularly helpful for, either from the literature or from your experience, or, you know, just whatever it is, it would work? I would say, I would say that yoga can help anybody in any experience of pain. Um, as I mentioned, I've worked with a lot of people that have, that experience chronic pain through arthritis. My mom is one of them. I filmed a chair yoga video for her that she does diligently every morning. And she has rheumatoid arthritis. She has osteoarthritis. She has scoliosis just from a physical perspective. Oh, and both of her shoulders are frozen. So she has a lot of difficulty moving and she's in pain every single morning, but she 
you know, she does the movement, she does what she can, and it has absolutely helped her strength. Um, she spends time doing the breathing and the mindfulness. It makes her less anxious through the day. So that's definitely a, one common area. But, you know, having teachers come in and work with people who are maybe experiencing the side effects of cancer or surgeries from cancer. There are easy movements and postures that can be really beneficial. I really can't think of, I can't think of a single experience where yoga wouldn't be beneficial because, the, you know, that's the thing. And that's why I wanted to really start with the fact that yoga is a state of being. It's not what we do. And the images that we see on social media about what yoga is, it's really, it's not because we, we start to get this idea. And I can't even tell you how many times I've been told, well, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. First of all, yoga helps you become more mobile and more flexible. And people who are less mobile and flexible get greater benefits from doing yoga than people who are incredibly flexible. But it's it's a blend. The asana perspective of it is, is a blend of strength and flexibility. And then you can also blend in, you know, these really lovely postures where you've got bolsters or blocks or blankets supporting you and add some breath work to it. And so it becomes this really just beautiful, beautiful flow. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I really, I can't think of a single individual that is experiencing chronic pain at any degree that wouldn't benefit. It's just such a diverse practice. There's so many ways to adapt it. So going back to how you prefer working with clients with chronic pain one-on-one -on -one because of being able to tailor the yoga experience to them, is it more so about tailoring how they're doing that day, uh, what you know about them, more so rather than the pain condition itself then? It's everything. It's everything because, you know, yoga is looking at the whole person and how every element of the person is interacting at all moments, right? We don't just have a physical, if our physical body is in pain, the chances of someone being all happy-go-lucky and, you know, all excited for the day and super energized is probably not going to happen, right? And if someone's in chronic pain for long periods of time, the chances of them, you know, also having difficulties with anxiety and depression are going to be really you know, really quite prevalent. So it's the whole, it's the whole thing. Of course, it's def it's absolutely the condition because the practice that I share, and that's, that's why I want it. That's why I think I prefer to work one-on-one -on -one with clients because I am looking at their pain condition as well as how they're doing that day, as well as what their energy is like that day, as well as what maybe some of the progress has been over our time of seeing each other. And then, you know, looking at a group environment, there's lots of different things that we can do, but typically it might be if we have people that are experiencing chronic pain in a very, you know, in the most generalized sense, as far as arthritis, uh, which is so common, or maybe fibromyalgia or, or have a very similar pain condition, then it's easier to, to build a group class around it. But we can still do group classes. We can do chair yoga classes. We can do just do breath work classes or breathing and meditation classes. And they can be incredibly empowering. 
And, you know, most people who are experiencing chronic pain are already doing a lot of work with physiotherapists, of course, they might be seeing a chiropractor, they might be seeing a massage professional. There's so many different modalities out there that they already could be doing. And, and so I'm also considering all of that too, when I'm looking at with my client, because I don't, I don't want to overdo anything. So often when I am working with people who are really, really struggling with severe chronic pain, they're working with a physiotherapist three or four times a week. I don't want to add on to the extra work because I would imagine that the physiotherapist has, has a plan and also they need rest days in between. So I will, first of all, I'll always ask who else they're seeing, how else they're managing their pain. And if they are working with someone who is helping them already with either strength conditioning or flexibility or, or something in the movement aspect, I will, I'll try and get them to either connect me with their physiotherapist or even, you know, we have the papers. <laughs> I don't know if they're always in papers anymore, but with the exercise laid out. So when I see those and I'm like, okay, now I know exactly what exercises that, um, you know, your physiotherapist is really looking at to help you either strengthen or whatever, stretch whatever the area is. And then I can mimic that a little bit. But I would definitely say with yoga, it's an and. It's always an and. It's not an or. It's always an and. It's it's how can we all work together as a community? There's so many incredible paths to help people with their healing. And so working together, I think, is always going to be the best support for the individual. And um, the last thing that that someone with chronic pain needs is to be overworked, right? To put through another rigorous physical exercise. And so I always want to be considerate of that. But at the same time, you know, if someone's kind of taking a break from it, or if it's, you know, something like arthritis, where they aren't necessarily working with a phys physiotherapist or working with um, someone in pain management on a continuous basis, well, then we can work on things a little bit differently. So it, it always depends on what the condition is, for sure. I appreciate that. That pertains to how we provide holistic, multidisciplinary care for those living with pain. And working with everyone that is caring for that person is really crucial, as you said, not to duplicate effort, to make sure that the person is getting enough rest and so on. Yeah. Any human, the last thing that we need is for the people that we're trusting to help us to be working against each other, right? So, you know, the last thing we need is the yoga teacher or professional to say, oh, what the physiotherapist is giving you isn't going to work. Let me pull out my crystals. <laughs> um, but, you know, vice versa, which is, I think, sometimes the fear that people in the medical world think that we're doing, but we really aren't. But yeah, just recognizing that we can, we can work in conjunction. Um, I had a good friend that was working in the pain clinic at Women's College Hospital that was referring clients to me that they were part of outpatient pain clinics and, you know, were really, really struggling. We're not candidates for surgery. This one client in particular I'm thinking about had severe, severe back pain that was just traveling all the way up to his neck. He couldn't move his head. He could never be comfortable. He couldn't sit for more than a couple of minutes at a time without being in pain. And they weren't looking at him as a candidate for surgery. And he had done all of these different tests and all of this different work. They really just, they were at a loss. And so 
she referred him over to me and I just focused on breath work, calming him, a little bit of movement, getting his legs because his legs were okay. It was just basically everything from his waist up, which he really, he, he could barely move at all, but he wasn't sleeping. So I would try to get him into we would move every few minutes, but really naturally, not this big, you know, pick up and move and shift, but just kind of take one posture and flow it really organically and simply into another posture for a few minutes. So he wasn't in the same spot, but using music to really calm him and really trying to harness this meditative practice for him, just big diaphragmatic breathing, just whatever I could do to bring him some relaxation in the moment, because I knew I couldn't relieve him of his suffering. But just the opportunity to have a bit of time, even if it was only 20 minutes, and I would have hour sessions with him, and we did not do the whole hour. It was it was too much, but a lot of it, we would do a little bit of work, and then we would pause for a bit, and then we would do a little bit of work. But he was he was always so grateful at the end because he really, he actually got a chance to just relax a little. It was really difficult. Mm, yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah. I'm glad that there are these solutions out there, though. So I'm curious to explore a little more how physiotherapists can work with yoga practitioners to provide holistic care for those who are interested in yoga, also experiencing pain. How do you advise us physiotherapists go about that? Um, there is a directory. It's the International Association of Yoga Therapists, or IAYT. And they have a directory of all of the yoga therapists that are practicing, I think globally, but definitely in Canada and the US. That's definitely a great place to start because it's well over a thousand hours of study and it's much more in-depth, much more in-depth studies and also um, the practicums and the testing and the research papers that they have to provide that go far, far over any common yoga teacher would experience. So where and if you could, I would definitely start there, especially in the more serious, serious conditions. And then when we're looking at yoga teachers in the broader sense, what style of yoga are they teaching? Is that style of yoga going to be okay for the student? I would have a conversation with the teacher as well. What we often do inside of my trainings that I, that I do is when we get into the component where we talk about um, pain management and chronic pain is that we always, always encourage our teachers to create a community around them. So a lot of us have people that we work with already. I have chiropractors and osteotherapists and shiatsu therapists and I don't like Ayurvedic therapists. Like I have a whole wealth of people that I personally work with for myself, but have built that community around so that when I have clients that can benefit, then I know who to send them to. And so I would kind of start there, like just try and find a collective of yoga teachers that you trust, that you share the same value system with as far as how to treat your clients, someone that you can work with and be able to share very specific things about what the physical work that you're doing is and the, you know, the mindset behind that to take care of the clients so that the yoga teacher can support that. And then, you know, those would be definitely in the more serious cases. 
as I mentioned before. But in a general sense, I think just making sure that if you're telling your client that you think that yoga would be good for them, that they want to find either a gentle style of yoga or a chair yoga class, depending, of course, on the age or the condition, to always tell the teacher when they come in that they're new or that they're working through a pain condition so that the teacher can help them in a class format. So I've been teaching yoga at Good Life Fitness in Toronto for my whole career. And I tend to teach the mornings, the morning classes. So 930 in the morning and most of my students are retired. They've all got aches and pains. And so I'll invite them to come up and and share with me what they're, you know, just in a very generalized sense, you know, anything that's going on with them so that I can kind of tailor my classes to them as I'm putting my flows together. And, and most teachers are able to do that. I think I'd be weary of something like um, hot yoga and nothing against hot yoga, but there is that tendency to push too far when the muscles are feeling extra warm. And, you know, something like a power flow probably wouldn't be really great for the average student. But, you know, the thing is, there's just there's so many styles of yoga out there. What are we really looking at to help the client with? Is it relaxation, in which case restorative yoga, meditation, breath work, or if it's to help increase strength and flexibility, then looking more at like a general sort of vinyasa flow. But again, just being weary going into different yoga studios and where the classes are being held. And it's not to say I know, like I'm teach, like I said, I teach at a at a gym and I loved it, love it. And I know there's a lot of teachers at Good Life that can really take care of a lot of different students and same at yoga studios. But we we all we also need to know. Can't just assume because we, we will assume that the students are okay. So we want to just make sure that we're taking care of them. When you work with students with pain who are also working with other healthcare professionals, do you usually communicate directly with those healthcare professionals or, or usually just get the information through the students? It depends. Obviously, I would need the student's permission to be able to contact the medical professional. I have done that in the past. And I've done that because I want them also to have the peace of mind that I am taking care of the client or patient and allow them to also ask me questions, or maybe they had an idea as to why they sent them to yoga in the first place. Um, so, so it, it depends. Sometimes it is, like I said, they'll just come at me with this paper and say, these were the exercises I was given. And that also is incredibly helpful, but I would prefer to talk to the medical professionals because I think it gives us both peace of mind that we're taking care of the client. So we talked about some advice for physiotherapists to connect with yoga practitioners. Do you have any advice for yoga practitioners in general? How do we better care for those with pain? Less is more. Less is more. Every single time, less is more. And we are a society of doers and pushing, right? And so it you know, that can sometimes be a bit of a, a frustrating thing, but um, we have to have to encourage our students that less is more and that we aren't trying to push to the extreme every single time. And the most important thing in a practice is just to be continuous. If you want to really get the benefits of yoga, doing yoga once a month is not going to give it to you. Once a week, a little bit more 
a few times a week, definitely at a little bit more. Um, but I would even, I would even recommend small like nuggets of practice every day, 20 minutes of just a bit of breathing, a bit of light movement every day, but definitely, definitely if there are any yoga teachers out there, less is more. Mm-hmm. Good. I am also curious if you have encountered any clients that just doesn't respond to yoga or very, very tricky to do yoga with and seeing very little results. Um, you know, I, I think if someone has decided that they want to try yoga and they're coming to see me in a one-on-one -on -one format, then they're open to the different aspects. And I will always, always um, find a way for them to enjoy an element of it. I have a lot of students that come to me and say, yeah, I'm interested in trying this yoga thing, but I don't want any of that like woohoo spiritual stuff. And I'm like, okay. But I bring it in anyways, just in an indirect way, because their concept of the spiritual stuff could be mantras in Sanskrit or, you know, how we're wording, you know, the energy in the body, et cetera, et cetera, the chakra system. The thing is, is that yoga actually is, it's a philosophy and it's science of the mind. And so we do get sometimes caught up in that woohoo stuff, but yoga really is a science of the mind. And so just, you know, considering communication and language on how I'm sharing with the student, or a lot of times they'll be like, well, I, I want to try it, but I can't meditate. There's no way I can't stop my brain. And I'm like, well, you're not meant to just sit and turn your brain off. It's a process. And so that's why I bring them into the yin and restore practices, which is what I commonly use, which is a slow flow practice that's designed to slowly take the person from their active mind in their day to come down to that deeper level of parasympathetic nervous system where they are quiet and still. Um, one of the things that we would joke about, I do a virtual class on Thursday nights and the jokes was that, you know, I just, I can't stop yawning and my, my stomach is growling and I can't stop yawning as we get into class. And I'm like, that's amazing. You're doing it right. That's exactly what we want because when we're in parasympathetic nervous system, we get tired, right? We start yawning. And then all of a sudden our digestive system's kicking in again, instead of being, this is hard rock. So that's how I, I'll tell my students, that's how they know they're doing it right. You know, and then other than that, if they're just, if they're not interested, they're not going to do it. You know, if someone comes into a group class and they don't like it, they're just not going to come back. So uh, my job is to design practices that feel accessible, that meet each of my students where they are and to help them feel good. It's not, it's not my practice. My practice is separate. This is, is how can I, how can I share this really powerful, powerful practice with somebody else in a way that makes sense for them and then let, allow them and inspire them to explore the practice further. I see it's it's really about adapting it to the person in front of you, catering to what they're interested of, um, and just really being passionate about yoga, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. When we were talking earlier before this podcast, I had asked you to see if you could do a breathing meditation for our audience to experience what it's like to to be yoga. Would, would that be a better way to put it? Yeah, I like that. Uh-huh.
to be in the state of yoga. Be in the state of yoga. Mm -hmm. So uh, for our audience, if you're traveling, maybe you can try to come back to the podcast when you're home to try to do this meditation. I encourage you to give it a try. So take it away. Okay. So um, first thing is we want to either lie down or find a seat where our spine can be nice and tall. So if you're kind of relaxed onto the couch, just sit forward on the couch. If you can place your feet down and just start to lift up through the back. If you're more comfortable lying down, feel free to lie down. Feel free to place a pillow or a folded blanket under your head. Feel free to bend your knees or put a pillow or folded blanket under your legs just to help support the spine in a better way. You could even do this lying down in bed or lying down on the couch. Um, but we want to be in a space where the spine and the belly are reasonably relaxed because as we go through our breath work, if our shoulders are slumped forward or if our spine's a little bit twisted, we're not going to be able to access the deeper layers of our lung capacity for our breath. And that's really where we're going. So feel free to keep your eyes open or closed and just really let yourself settle in. Start to become aware of your breath as it is without trying to change anything. Notice if you're breathing through your nose or your mouth. Notice where you feel your breath. Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your back? Through the rib cage? Do you feel it in your belly? Is your breath deep? Is it shallow? Just becoming aware of the quality of our breath in this moment. And then if you're able to breathe in and out through the nose. And start to lengthen out your exhale. See if you can make the exhale a little longer than your inhale. And then bring one hand onto your belly. Bring one hand onto your chest. And as you breathe in, feel the breath move into your chest, move into your rib cage, and then finally move into your belly. So the idea is that the breath is so deep, it pushes the diaphragm down and the belly expands. And then exhale, draw the belly in, soften through the chest. And do that again. So breathing in, chest, rib cage, belly. And exhale, belly, rib cage, chest. Inhale, chest, 
rib cage, belly. And exhale, belly, rib cage, chest. Couple more times. Breathing in, chest, rib cage, belly. Exhale, belly, rib cage, and chest. One more time. Feel your breath against your hands. Feel the expansion of your body. Slowly retract. Exhale. You can either keep your hands where they are or just shift them to your lap or somewhere else that's comfortable. And just take a moment now, once again, to be aware of any shifts that have started to happen, subtle or otherwise. Continue to breathe deeply. I'm going to do cycle, a few cycles of box breathing. So here we're going to inhale. We'll inhale to a count of four. We'll hold for hold our breath in for a count of four. We'll exhale for a count of four. And then we hold our breath out for a count of four. And then we'll repeat it. So begin, inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Hold your breath out, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Hold the breath out, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Hold the breath out, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Hold the breath out, four, three, two, one. Two more, inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one, hold the breath out, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Breathe out, four, three, 
two, one, hold the breath out, four, three, two, one, take a big breath in, and a slow breath back out. Take a big breath in. And a slow breath back out. And again, observe how you feel physically, energetically. Continue to breathe deeply. And I have one more breathing technique I'd like to share with you. And all you're going to do is take your index finger on your right hand and cover your right nostril. Inhale through your left nostril. And exhale from your left nostril. Inhale, left nostril. Exhale, left nostril. Keep going nice and slow. See if you can continue to breathe into your belly here. We call this our cooling single nostril breathing or Chandra Beda. Breathing through the left side helps, again, to further that connection to parasympathetic nervous system. The slow, deep breathing we do also creates vibrations at the back of the throat, stimulating the vagus nerve, which also helps us quiet the parasympathetic nervous system. Two more rounds. Take your time. It's just a beautiful breath that you can bring in at any moment that you just need a little more quietness, calmness. And again, be aware of how you're feeling in this moment. No judgments, no stories. Just an awareness. And slowly you can release your hand, breathe in and out, through both nostrils. And as you're ready, come back into the space. Open your eyes. You can either sit back up or enjoy relaxing. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. That was very refreshing. And I I think that was like seven minutes. I forgot to keep track of the time, but it wasn't long. Yeah, I guess it's just that nuggets of yoga you can do. 
Absolutely. That's the key right there. It doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be this big production. You don't need an expensive yoga mat or expensive yoga clothes. You just need comfortable clothing yourself. Mm, that's right. As we come to an end to our episode today, can you tell our audience where can people learn more about you and your work? Sure. So my website is just simply lisagreenbaum.com. And I offer virtual classes on Tuesday evenings and Thursday evenings. Tuesday evening is more of the vinyasa flowing strength style class, but Thursdays is my yin and restore class. So that is that more gentle movement focused on parasympathetic nervous system. So those are that's Thursday night at seven. And I also, as I mentioned earlier, have a yoga education school. So I certify yoga teachers. And if that's something that you would be interested in, whether you just want to deepen your knowledge or actually become a teacher, it's module formats. You can pick and choose the courses that you'd like if um, they are just individual sessions or of course the full 200 hour to become a certified yoga teacher. That's the, the gold standard. And uh, one of the courses that I do have, which is coming up in November, is called Yoga for Wellness. And it's a six day over two weekends training where we look at trauma-informed practices, managing our mental well-being, specific practices for anxiety and depression and pain management. So a lot of the elements that we talked about, how to really take care of all of our students. And would your students who come through your school be on the IAYT um, not my students. I certify yoga teachers. And so that's yoga therapists. So that's well above yoga teachers. So I like to say the 200 hour is like an undergrad degree. The 300 hour is like your master's and the yoga therapy is like a PhD. So there are other schools that are in Canada, but you need a, usually a minimum of a 200 hour yoga teacher training certification first. And many schools need you to have a 500 hour before you can even apply to a yoga therapy school. Wow. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> so I guess that would help healthcare practitioners rest assured that the therapists that they find on IAYT are trustable and most of them can take care of people with chronic pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Any concluding thoughts before we officially end off? I, I'm just, I'm grateful um, that you invited me to share something that I'm so passionate about and share that yoga is just so much more than what we see on Instagram. Thank you so much for coming on. I really think that this is a very good addition to uh, the Paincast episodes that we currently have. Thank you and have a good rest of your day, Lisa. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Paincast on Yoga. I hope you found it eye-opening. Since I've been running Paincast, I've come to learn that some prefer to listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts over Spotify. So I'm excited to update you that Paincast is also now available on Apple Podcasts. Please support our podcast by subscribing it and rating it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean, and share it with your network. Stay tuned for future episodes on pain and physiotherapy.